Welcome to the Marketing Science Podcast, the podcast for sales and marketing professionals working within science, engineering, and healthcare. Don't forget to subscribe on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or your favorite podcast player. If you'd like to learn more information about how to run a scientific podcast, visit azonetwork.com slash podcasts. Our guests today are Danny Lazell and Elizabeth Rudy from the Azo Network webinar marketing team, and Andy Henton, the CEO of our trusted webinar partners at Inside Scientific. This is the adapted audio from our webinar of the same name, using webinars to market science. Please visit azonetwork.com slash events to watch the whole webinar recording on demand. Let's take a listen. So first subject is planning. So start at the beginning. Uh, we've had a few questions in. So this came in from the registration process. How do you plan a science webinar? So Danny, I think you're probably the best person to answer this as you've been, you've planned this webinar. So um, what would you say to that? Yeah, thanks, Frankie. Um, I'd say the the first thing to think about is, uh, and it might sound obvious, but why do you and your organization want to run the webinar in the first place? Uh, it sounds obvious, right? But you'd be surprised how many marketers um, would struggle to answer that question in the middle of a series of webinars that they've been running for, for several months. So uh, if, you, if you know your why, then you can set your objectives and decide a way of measuring whether or not you've met them. So for example, today we're running the first in a series of educational webinars where we're planning to support uh, marketers within science, engineering, and healthcare. So um, we're going to be looking at the number of attendees, what their attention rate was, uh, the feedback we get from, from the people watching afterwards, uh, and did we see any spikes in organic or social traffic after the webinar session was over? Did people go looking for additional content? Um, the key is to use the metrics that uh, really relate to what it is we're trying to achieve as opposed to ones that are perhaps uh, easier to collect. So. Once you know why you're doing the webinar, what you're going to provide, and how you're going to measure success, then we can look at how you're going to market the event. And I, I believe the best place to start is the way we started with this session is with our title. So what problem are you as an organization trying to solve? A great title will help to set the agenda, it will generate curiosity and interest, uh, and will help you to, to better market the event. So. Once you have your title, then you can start looking at who the best speaker within your space is for that particular um, particular subject area. But what you're talking about, the finding the right speaker in the subject area there, um, Andy, I'm going to turn to you for this one. Um, how do you find interesting, engaging people and interesting, engaging subjects? Yeah, that's a great question. In the world of content marketing, uh, you know, all, all content's good, but arguably there are better topics and and certainly more suitable presenters. So when we talk about planning a webinar, as Danny pointed out, uh, kind of planning with the end in mind is key, and this goes into selecting the right speaker as well. So I think the simple way to say it is with your why identified, um, you should be able to then generate a short list of um, uh, of suitable presenters uh, within your circle. These might be people at your company or um, users, uh, key opinion leaders in the application areas. And, and this is where you need to start. Typically, when we're planning a webinar with our clients, we say, you know, create a short list and work from that. Um, and actually, we're encouraging them to create 
lists of presenters off of uh, across many webinar subjects because um, it might be your goal to plan a webinar on a particular subject in three months. But if you don't have the right speaker, it would be logical to maybe shift that timeline and bring in someone who's available to run a different webinar. But, but going back to the immediate question is, is being selective, you know, someone who's an expert in the area. Um, and the other tip here is remember that in our technical and scientific space, somebody who is the brightest or a recognized KOL in, in that application area or that subject matter isn't necessarily the best webinar presenter for you. So again, going back to what, what Danny stressed, if you can uh, understand your why and start listing out key deliverables, like KPIs that you want to be, be hitting, you can then go back to your speaker and say, is this, is this person or is this group of people going to help us meet those objectives? If you have a bit of a presenter that's uncomfortable, you know that they're not a natural presenter, maybe they're going to be a subject expert, but uh, not as engaging, bring in other people that are a little bit more outgoing uh, so that that rounds out your webinar uh, as far as a production process is concerned. Yeah, fascinating. Uh, we've had a couple of questions already, um, so please keep them coming in on the differences between you know, in-person inv- events and virtual events. So they're not apples and not apples and apples. They are apples and oranges. I think you'd be a fool to think you're getting the exact same experience. Obviously you're not. Um, so Elizabeth, I'm going to bring you in on this one. What, what's the difference between um, what in approach when you're running a virtual event? Yeah, sure. I mean, great question. Um, I'm sure this year we've we've had a lot more virtual events than ever before, um, replacing in-person events. Um, so firstly, for me, um, investing in some technology or software is going to be the obvious first step. So um, you need some software to run your webinars or run your virtual events. Um, but thankfully, you probably have a little bit less of a logistical burden when it comes to planning those in-person events. So, you know, you don't have any um, booking of travel, um, booking spaces, manning booths and things like that. So you'll have a little bit more time to research um, what kind of software and and, uh, platforms are best for you. Um, And then I think one of the biggest benefits of virtual events is that you can really repurpose your content and uh, make it accessible for months or years, even after the virtual event itself. But this also means that part of your planning process definitely has to be um, considering what kind of content will work best what kind of content will um, age well and will still be relevant um, months and years after, um, and what kind of content will be um, able to be repurposed in a a good way. Um, And then something we'll definitely discuss later in the webinar is that virtual events make data collection much easier than many in-person events can. Um, But again, part of your planning process is to make sure that you have a good idea of what kind of data you do want to collect and um, make sure that your registration forms, your landing pages are set up to collect the information that you do want to collect from your from your registrants. Um, And of course, that um, that information, all that data that you do collect is something that you can send on to your sales team and hopefully generate some quality leads. and uh, speaking of sales, Frankie, I know you spent um, a lot of time um, with the sales team and also started out at Azo Network in sales. Um, so can you just talk a little bit about the importance of bringing sales along for the journey? I know we use sales um, as part of our marketing for this webinar. So could you just elaborate a little bit about that? Yeah, yeah of course. Um, well, I, th- I think first and foremost, it, it's, it's great to bring people with you and foster that buy-in uh, f- right from the front end. As with anything in life, you can turn a an average plan, plan into a good plan or a good plan into a great plan or even a great plan into an outstanding plan. 
if everybody just backs it, if everybody buys into something. So you just you, you got to find out how you get the buy-in, bring them along with you on the journey from the front end. I, I think you mentioned the sales team there, Elizabeth. Like they are day in day out dealing with the customers. They're finding out what people's challenges are. They're finding out. They're understanding the pain points. Um, so when it comes to, to webinars, you know, that's the first place we go because we can figure out that, you know, c- certain virtual events maybe weren't quite as good as other ones. And this is why, because it's the interactivity element of it. Um, so that's the first place we go. Um, and, and you, you get that buy-in from the front end and everybody's pulling in the same direction, but yeah, good question. I thought I was, uh, in for an easy ride and just, just moderating today. Um, what about um, a couple of questions about software? So, in fact, we've already had a couple in. Andy, I'm, I'm just going to ask, ask you whilst we've got this graph up. What's the um, so? What would you say are the main differences between the like the on twenty fours and the WebExes versus, say, a go to webinar or Zoom? Yeah, it's a great question, and it's also a moving target um, this year as thrusted all these companies and others. Um, to be developing and expanding their platform and its capabilities. But very, very loosely, you've got uh, um, the two main webinar platforms or styles that would be used are the ones where you have a download. So it's actually a program running on your computer. And it's in now it's allowing you to, say, share a screen, and therefore you can go through whatever you want with your audience, right? So that's a Zoom or GoToWebinar style. Uh, what's nice about it is you, you're not loading content into the back end. You are real-time sharing what's going on on your monitor. So there's um, infinite possibilities to somewhat pivot during a live event. Um, In the tech space, this is really nice when you're trying to create a very interactive uh, session, maybe with a smaller group. You you can take a question from somebody in the audience. They say, can you show me how to do that in your software again? Sure. I'll open that up on my monitor, share it with you, on the session goes. Um, On the other side, you have a broadcast, as you say, Frankie, uh, style. So what you're typically doing with these is loading in content to the back end. It's web-based, so you're not downloading apps and your audience isn't downloading apps. They're visiting a web uh, domain, if you will, or a page, and they're experiencing um, a live stream. Uh, and, and, and actually, I'll extend on that or correct on that. They may not be experiencing a live stream. It might not be live. It might be pre-recorded. It might be a blend, so you know, uh, some pre-recorded, some live. Um, it also might be direct on demand or, you know, they'll just enter into the environment, watch it whenever they like. But the other thing with these broadcast platforms is it allows people to maybe, um, move in the direction of, well, as it suggests broadcast style preparation of their event and content. So, uh, you can connect, you know, very sophisticated studios, uh, to this type of thing, to have your video feed shot from a studio and streamed out live, uh, to your audience. Uh, you can typically integrate the replay of media a bit better. And uh, I would say in our experience, we find that this type of platform is better at replaying video clips because, again, I can't speak for all the platforms and how they do this, but in my experience a few years back, you know, a typical way of sharing a video with someone on a go-to webinar style or a Zoom webinar meeting would be I'm playing it on my screen and you're watching it. But that that's doesn't render an, uh, a very qu- like a quality uh, experience of watching the video for your audience and may bring in challenges like uh, they can't hear the audio that's associated with your video file. As an example, that's a really good one. Um, now I will say as I said, like zoom go to webinar, these, these platforms, they're innovating very quickly and they have this year. Um, they do have solutions for those type of examples I shared there, how to play a video clip. And they're much more, 
um, uh, sophisticated and, and competing in a way with the broadcast type. But that's the answer to that, that uh, question that you've asked there, Frankie, on the technical side, at least. Excellent. And a question here about uh, the, the key features or, or what, what are the key differences between um, the webinars that in question then? So, so D Danny, I'm going to ask you, um, what should we be looking for in a webinar platform? What, what do we look for before we um, set up this webinar? Yeah, again, a really good question. I think it's going to be very specific to, to your organization and the, the type of webinar session that you're, that you're trying to run. So um, I think the first thing to remember is that the technology you're investing in should help you make life easier and do the things you actually want it to do. I think often people perhaps select a technology that um, they've seen Facebook ads for, it's been recommended to them by a colleague, um, but what they use it for might be completely different to what it is that your organization needs. So what we did is we, we sat down and we, we, planned, uh, we planned out this webinar series and then we decided what we needed the software to do for us and then selected one on this basis. So what's important to, to you could be um, bespoke landing pages, automation capabilities, uh, being able to run live simulated events as well as live sessions, uh, the polls, Q and A's, multiple users, uh, number of registrants. These are there's loads of different variables of what you might want the software to do. So yeah, like I said, sit down with your team, plan your webinar out, then decide what you need the software to do for you, and then select one on this basis. Whilst remembering that your your tech can't make up for a lack of subject knowledge or or planning, so the software that you pick should be there to support your efforts, but not lead them. Yeah, I think on, on this one too, an important thing in particular this year with everything that's happened is just the reliability and ease of use for your audience. So 100% agree with you, Danny. It's like, again, plan with the end in mind, select the tool that will allow you to execute on what you're trying to achieve. But one of those key variables that I think is so important is what's the user experience, the simplicity of jumping on. Is it just smash a button and I'm suddenly in the meeting? Um, what type of support... Uh, can be integrated into the platform to really ensure they know where they're supposed to be when. But a, a, a very like a unique or uh, thing that comes to mind is reminder emails that state one time zone, right? So if you're trying to engage an international audience and your reminder emails go out, they just have the time zone that you plan your event in. It, it can drive with when you're dealing with large numbers a lot of confusion around when does this webinar start. Um, so little details like that, I think, are important, but from the perspective of the, the user experience. Yeah, absolutely. User experience is, is paramount. I saw a great clip of Jeff Bezos on LinkedIn. It was from 1998 when he was obsessing over the, the user experience. But it's, it's no different to today. You've got to make sure that it's as easy as possible in a, in a world full of noise. You've got to be able to clarify what the signal is. I'm, you know, if it's not in my calendar, I'm not watching it or not. I'm not attending it, basically. So right. the, ca the calendar invites are also very important because I'm just bombarded with information on a day-to-day -day basis. Yeah. Elizabeth, I, I'm just going to ask you a question about how important is it to garner that information at the front end and, and how important is the registration process? Again, thinking about ease of use and, and UX. 
Yeah. So um, obviously the registration process is a super important part of the overall planning process. Um, And it's definitely um, to the points we were all just making. You do want it to be user friendly. You want it to be fairly quick and easy, straightforward for people to register. The last thing you want is to drive someone away after they've clicked on the registration page. The last thing you want to do is drive them away because your registration process is too lengthy um, or too complicated to to complete. Um, But there's definitely a balance that you want to hit between, again, making your registration process good for the user and good for the the participant, but also getting that information that we talked about wanting to get. Um, So during our process, um, we asked you guys uh, what your biggest challenges were, asked you things like what kind of platforms you use um, to get that information that was really valuable to us. But again, we were very conscious of not bombarding you with with more questions than were needed. Um, And again, we just really honed in on what we wanted to know. Um, And learning things like challenges, um, what biggest challenges you guys face with webinars helped us to curate our content and really formulate ideas around what we wanted to deliver during the webinar so that we could make this webinar as useful and and actionable for our registrants. Um, But yeah, definitely um, something to keep in mind. Um, And then something we we didn't actually do for this webinar was um, embed the the form, the landing page on our own website. But that might be something you want to consider doing it one lets you uh, keep your registration page really on brand, um, but it also makes it easier for you to be able to remarket uh, to people later on because they have visited your website. Um, so just all things to keep in mind when it comes to the registration process. Yeah. Um, so just on the sort of market intelligence data, what about um, the kind of polls and the survey information that you can get, Andy? I know you've had plenty of experience in in sort of garnering, you know, almost hooking people in and engaging them with more qualitative and quantitative data. Yeah, and that's a great question. And as Elizabeth has just pointed out, I mean, the first point of market intelligence collection starts at the reg form, typically the reg form. And it's important to use that uh, to collect, you know, the key PID that you need for that individual registering. But then a few other points, Elizabeth talked about asking about challenges. That's a fantastic example, and we encourage our clients to do that. But um, in general, what we're saying here is ask a few questions, as, as few as possible, um, so you don't deter registration, but so that you can start putting a registrant into a um, marketing persona or, you know, I just say put, putting them into different buckets. Um, and so this would be an example of like who is an equipment user versus um, a director and a planner in a lab or uh, uh, a pharmaceutical company or, again, whatever your target market is, or who's a decision maker. Um, the next step is polls, and, and survey typically goes along with this, Frankie. Um and uh, the thing with like polls are straightforward. I mean, you're talking about asking questions of your live audience. So it's market intelligence collection for you, but it's also engagement for your event. And I'd say the one thing to remember here is try not to make polls only about you. It's so obvious to your audience when you just keep asking questions that help you with your objectives, especially and if it's, it's very blatantly sales and marketing speak. Um, polls are a fantastic opportunity and our use case of planning science webinars to further like go deeper into problems people are having and then their opinions and perspectives because this is the way to bring people into the conversation simple like just think about sitting in a university or college lecture and the instructor saying what does everybody think about this let's have a raise of hands and then that 
creates a few minutes of conversation or sidebar on the subject that that um, professor's lecturing on. It's the same thing with polls. So use it to collect market intelligence, but use it to also create conversation and opinion from the audience. They'll, they'll get a lot of that out of uh, the experience in the webinar. Um, and then surveys are really for two things. It's how did we do and what should we be doing next? And then again, how can I further maybe qualify you um, in uh, the marketing funnel or sales funnel that we're addressing through the webinar process? So the tip here would be make, make sure you're in surveys, at least asking a few questions that are going to allow you to say, well, what's the next step? How could I deliver the next piece of material for this person? Are they looking for a demo? How far along are they? Are they just still exploring? What would they like to hear, hear about next, right, in their educational journey? Um, and then, and actually another thing comes to mind, and this is going back to the technology, um, that we brought up earlier, the platforms are really innovating right now. They're really pushing the brand boundaries because webinars and virtual meetings are essential, uh, particularly in our industry and, um, integrated call to actions and next steps are a key thing. And this is market intelligence. So, um, who clicked on that button to move on to book a meeting, who clicked on that button to download a key resource, et cetera. So think about going back to the, which technology should we use? If you want to integrate CTAs, look for a platform that has it integrated because it'll make your life easier. Um, but also uh, when you're in that planning uh, process of your webinar, think about what you want to collect from your um, attendees and registrants and think about how call to actions can be part of that, not just polls and surveys. Yeah. Excellent. So, so we're jump, jumping around here, but just to bring, bring it back to the sort of the flow of the webinar, we were looking at um, marketing the webinar. So I know that we've got a, in fact, Danny, you've, you've been doing a lot of work on the blogs um, in terms of well, creating blogs and you know, pushing out via different channels and then ultimately pointing people back towards the landing page. Um, do, do you want to go into a bit more detail about how, how we've specifically marketed this webinar? Yeah, sure. So we, uh, I mean, we planned this in a fairly sort of quick turnaround time. So I think we started about five weeks ago or so. So perhaps that's maybe a bit too short for planning in, in general. But for us, it, it was um, it was trying to get it out before Christmas, essentially. So uh, what we did is that we we planned out the uh, full marketing journey and had very clear communication touch points along that journey. Um, so each touch point was an opportunity for us to showcase uh, showcase the branch showcase our, our knowledge and start building relationships with um, with people who we wanted to attend. We started off yeah, five weeks ago or so publishing several blogs, educational blogs uh, about webinars to our website and promoted them through newsletters and social media, et cetera, uh, to get the word out, get the ball rolling, making sure there was um, interest in the subject before we, before we launched the, before we launched the session. Uh, then once we were happy that this was going to be um, a good subject to focus on, we uh, concentrated on getting the word out through our advertising uh, and we drove all of that traffic to our registration page. So our sales team here played a massive uh, role in getting the word out. Like you said earlier, Frankie, they're the sort of the face of the business. They're speaking to clients day to day. So they had a huge part to play. We also used uh, emails, newsletters, social media, more blogs, uh, display advertising, LinkedIn ads, uh, and our website were the other um, places we used to promote the event. So 
We used fairly straightforward messaging to communicate what we were doing, what insights we would be sharing, and who uh, would hopefully uh, benefit from attending. So those of you here today who are familiar with Azo Network previously will probably have registered through emails, um, whereas people who are perhaps new to Azo Network and Inside Scientific perhaps uh, have come to us through LinkedIn ads and display ads. Um, once uh, everyone was registered, we provided some additional resources on our thank you page. I think there was an ebook, some more blogs, uh, another video. Um, and then we automated a thank you email with a calendar reminder, the, the important calendar reminder in different time zones, like we were talking about earlier. And then three email reminders, one week, one day, one hour before the event. So as many people as possible who registered actually have turned up for the session. Uh, and then marketing after the event is just as important. So we will, after this session, be sending the recording out to those who have attended, those who haven't been able to attend as well. And we'll hopefully continue the conversation uh, over on social media once it's once it's over today. Yeah, I think there's a bit of editing work for, for you. I know it's on your, your, uh, your desk, isn't it, Danny, in terms of chopping it up into little sort of consumable bits. And I, I know, well, do you want to tell us a bit about how we've innovated in in the sort of run-up to it with the sort of two-minute videos? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, we've talked a lot about um, how people would rather digest information on their own terms uh, and in shorter blocks. So what we'll do with with this session is that we'll break it down into five or six sort of eight to 10-minute 10 10-minute um, 10 videos about specific subject areas. So We'll have one on planning the webinar, one on just on software, so that when people have a very specific question or or problem they need help with, um, they can find a very um, focused video that will uh, will help give them an the answers they're hopefully looking for. So, yeah, being innovative with our approach, uh, but also sort of paying attention to the to the wider trends. You know, people's attention spans. I think that the stat is less than a goldfish now. It's like seven seconds in twenty twenty, which is embarrassing. It's be a human being, I think. But you know, we're 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 evolving our content so that you can you you can watch the forty five minute webinar. You can you can also watch the you know the six minute bit about marketing the webinar so it, <clears throat> do, we do the same for the podcast as well andy you've been on the the podcast with virtual events and virtual events for science and engineering we'll rip it up and, and put it into little sound bites and yeah. and that really resonates very well with with our audience this is just on the subject this is so important for our industry you know planning webinars it's such a big thing especially it has been for years but this year has been you know huge for webinars and virtual events, but when, what we've just talked about here, you know, not just leaving it as a 60 minute recording and saying it's on demand, go get it. I mean, there's content gold in a webinar recording, right? So you can spin it out into an FAQ written, you can chop it up into little videos. Um, you can write new blogs on it that redirect back to specific snippets of those, uh, you know, video clips that to answer questions. And that's the point here is th this is predominantly why we're doing webinars in this industry is to answer questions, solve problems, give clarity within a technical uh, space, right? So such a, a great strategy and something I don't see enough of. So uh, we've actually just had uh, one specific question about targeting China. So what advice do you have for targeting specific markets 
let's just open that up into sort of not not just China, but say you wanted to target APAC or you wanted to target North America or Europe. Um, what what would you say to that, Andy? Yeah, I think um, start with the obvious. If you can bring in local presenters that speak the native language, that's always best. They're available in the time zone. They can speak the language. They communicate. They can communicate best with your audience. If um, uh, if if someone who speaks the native language is not available, then certainly presenting or preparing the content in English is fine. But then it's a matter of tailoring the entire event experience, right from registration forms through to marketing uh, your emails. When are they delivered? Right, deliver them so that they're being received by your target audience during the opportune time during their work days, which would typically be the case have the emails written in their native language if possible. It's the simple answer is tailor the entire experience to them so that they can get more out of it. Um, in our space, we typically see more content in English. And I would say um, some projects we've had the opportunity to consult on uh, have usually gone in the direction of running the webinar live in English for the audiences, um, whether that be multiple time zones that would be able to participate live and, and also get um, sufficient value out of the live webinar being presented in English. The next action is then creating on-demand copies of, of the webinar, um, either doing voiceover translation uh, or um, subtitles, and then recreating live events off of that new material so that those in say China or Korea or Japan can sit through an event. Um, it, it's still delivered in English most of the time, but then subtitles and the tip here is to have a moderator that's bilingual so that the Q and a session or little breakouts can be planned as part of watching the video back to dive deeper into the subjects and clarify things for, for those that aren't as strong in the original uh, recorded language, English in this case. Um, but simply put, tailor the experience to them. Excellent. Yeah, I think it's it's almost Bezosian um, theme coming through. There's a common thread: customer experience. Make sure that it, that you solve for the customer. Hundred percent. It's all about giving the best customer experience possible in whatever industry you do, whether that's digital marketing or life sciences, material science. It's it's about making sure that people find the answers to their problems. Mm-hmm. Um, We've actually just got the one of the original registration questions on how many webinars people are planning for 2021. Uh, we've got 43% of people are planning one to five webinars, so that's great. Um, and then 27% of people are planning between six and 15, with 9% are on the 16 to 25 bracket. And then an ambitious 4% who are doing more than 25 which um, I'd be, I'd be, it'd be great to hear the challenges of, of running twenty-five webinars. You must have a great team, um, but I'm sure there are are pitfalls, and um, you know, in terms of preparing the content and keeping people engaged, we'd love to hear um, where your choke points are. And then there's seventeen percent who didn't know. So, interestingly, there. So, if you're in the don't know category, I presume that's maybe would like to try, but not quite sure how to do it. So we can obviously help you in that regard as well. Um, okay, so a question about preparation for webinars. 
Um, Elizabeth, you're um, you come from a creative or a, a performance background. Uh, you played a bit of piano and and done some singing before. What's the um, do you have any rituals that you like to go through before you're presenting? Uh, yeah. So um, my number one tip is to always do a, a dress rehearsal or a dry run of your of your webinar or more than one really is, is best, I think. Um, even I think if you've practiced on your own a lot and you feel like 100% you know, comfortable with your own content that you're, um, ready to go. Um, if you're doing the webinar with other colleagues or guests, um, you definitely want to do that rehearsal with everyone, everyone all together. Um, I think it's great to be able to, first of all, develop a bit of a rapport and know how the conversation will flow with your other guests as well. Um, and even things like, uh, making sure you're, you're saying your guest names correctly and things like that can all be fixed during a, a rehearsal. Um, um, checking audio, visual, also things like that um, will just go a long way into making your webinar look and feel a lot more professional and polished. Um, and then one thing I always like to do is uh, record myself um, talking and, and um, do it, answering some of my questions before a webinar as well. Um, I know a lot of people don't like to listen to themselves back, myself included, but it's very useful. It's good to see what you look like when you're delivering questions, what you sound like. Um, and then for me, um, I always do a little bit of a vocal warm up before, um, before a webinar. That's probably my singing background. But uh, especially if you're doing a webinar early in the day, you definitely don't want to sound like you just kind of rolled out of bed and have that vocal fry and that croaky voice. So um, that's just a little pre-webinar ritual that that I always do. Yeah, uh, I think everybody's got a phone, everybody's got, got a laptop. It's so easy to record yourself so that you can listen back and see what your verbal ticks are and see how many hesitations you put in. Um, and uh, <laughs> it's also it, it just helps you to perform and, uh, and hone your performance. Um, so, so Andy, have, have you got anything? Uh, well, from more from a technical perspective, uh, how do you ensure that everything runs smoothly on the webinar? I think this is an extension of exactly what Elizabeth just stressed: is is um, practice runs and tech checks. So, more specifically, what we uh, really try to stick to at Insight Scientific is doing tech checks very early, so that we get it out of the way and we find out any if there are any big challenges, right? Because if you're trying to plan a webinar in say eight weeks from concept to we're running a live event, it's sometimes, you know, presenters and planners think, well, we can get to, does your microphone or does your webcam work on our platform later? You know, that'll be an easy one to address. But the reality is, is if the sooner you get it confirmed, it's great. Every meeting you can have on the platform, you can get people comfortable, you just get it out of the way. What it means is that people start focusing on their content. So part of running smoothly from a technical standpoint, you get the, the gear working correctly. But I'd also say uh, a smooth webinar production is where uh, everyone's comfortable with their content, which means giving those people as much time as possible in the planning process to perfect their delivery, to practice it, to record themselves. Uh, so tech checks, tech checks, tech checks, do them early. Um, and then the other one is the practice session. Elizabeth mentioned this like. Um, what's so common, what we see a lot of is, is presenters saying, I'm really comfortable with my slides. I'm good. I know what I want to say. And what they've done is they've gone through it up here, right? They've, they've gone through their delivery and they've, they've talked out their notes in their head. That is completely different than saying it aloud. So, um, live practice runs where you can, uh, actually say this is a practice. Yes, but let's do it as if it's live. Let's all speak up. 
Let's plan our delivery. Let's be on webcam. Consider the body language you're going to use. Um, as much of practice as possible makes perfect practice makes perfect, right? So um, that's what I would recommend. And then the other tip here, actually, and this comes to mind, keeping it simple too. I mean, we get this all the time at Insight Scientific. We have the wonderful clients. We love our clients. They come with this idea of some sort of hybrid of Lord of the Rings in a webinar. It's like, it doesn't need to be this complicated, guys. Um, we don't need panning cameras and we don't need multi-angle angles. We need you to be solid on your content and, and being an engaging um, presenter. So especially for those that are new to webinars or trying to scale, just, you know, walk before you run uh, and, and then your webinars will continue to be smooth. Yeah, excellent. Um, so, Danny, what what tactics do you employ for keeping your audience engaged? But I, th- I think we've touched upon a few of these already. But um, anything else you'd like to add there? Yeah. So, I think both Andy and Elizabeth and yourself have all already mentioned the importance of uh, a great user experience. So, great user experience and be as useful to your audience as possible. So, provide answers to the questions that they have. Uh, deliver what you said you were going to in your pre-event publicity. Be be enthusiastic about your topic and proud of the fact that you're the expert. Um, it's normal to have nerves when you're presenting, but be, be happy and be proud that people have actually turned up to listen to what, what it is you have to say. Other tactics, like we've tried in this uh, event, um, polls, infographics, things like that, mixing up the media and the format. Some people will just do a presentation followed by a Q&A, Today, we've tried uh, the four floating heads with a few images and polls uh, in between, and hopefully people have enjoyed that experience. So any way that you can change the dynamic and keep your audience uh, on their toes is a good thing. We're lucky at this event, so when my bland and dreary British accent sends you all to sleep, we then have Elizabeth and Andy to wake you up with their far more appealing and enthusiastic North American accent. So that's something we're benefiting from, but yeah, anything you can do to mix up the, the dynamics and the format is, um, will help keep your audience as engaged as possible. Yeah. Excellent. And what about for more complex topics? Um, Andy say in, in life, in science in particular, what, um, how do you engage people there? Well, I think, oh, so like we all can appreciate, I think the trend in science is to do the, I'm talking at you for 45 minutes and then, you can ask me questions at the end. And that comes from the history of the science industry, like how, how authors share their work, right? present abstracts uh, and, and uh, do talks at Congress. And it works well for a webinar. So this isn't a, uh, like we do tons of them, right? Uh, and we often do not steer our clients in a different direction just because their subject is complex. Because the best way to deliver the content is stay on point, do the PowerPoint presentation, ask questions at the end. But I would argue um, this comes back to engagement. And as Danny said, like just mixing things up a little bit and something that uh, um, is, I think, needed more of and would be very fresh and welcomed in our industry is the same complex topics, but broken into just simple things like start with a brief introduction of five to 10 minutes and then break out for a Q&A for five and then get jump, jump back onto the, the content. So you, uh, you break up the I'm talking at you with now let's have a conversation together more frequently and earlier in the 60 minute experience. So I think that would help uh, very much on complex topics because we also know, uh, as you said, Frankie, we have an attention of goldfish. So um, 
uh, we, we need breaks, right. With these complex topics. Um, that would be the, the one thing I would say that's most important. I think this could be an entire webinar on its own. Um, but encouraging people to think, let's use Q and A's more frequently. Let's flip things around the talking head, uh, more panel style webinar with fewer slides and more conversation, I think is very powerful. If it's the right subject, it doesn't always work for complex topics because sometimes you need graphs and pictures and diagrams and things like that. But, um, thinking with the end in mind, like we talked about at the start of this webinar and, and working backwards and seeing how you can break up the traditional mold would be, uh, definitely my recommendation here. Yeah. And I think above all, enjoy it. You, you need to enjoy doing, doing the webinar and you know, you don't want to uh, fret too much about the technical stuff. You know, you, you are the subject matter expert. So talk, you know, talk freely and, and, uh, and talk with a smile on your face as well. Yeah. I think in, encouraging that conversation as well it is, is, it's great for sort of reducing what I call webinar fatigue because I do feel that like yeah. you know we're all working from home now and we're all expected to go to every webinar in the world whereas before you would have only gone to the webinar the shows even uh, the in-person shows that are near your your locale mm-hmm. so it's you know it, it becomes quite a lot when everybody's running webinars so I think being able to differentiate yourself like that is is incredibly important and actually, just what you said there, Frank, it brings up another point, the webinar fatigue, but also another science presentation after another, after another, after another. What we, we just taking a quick sidebar, we do a lot of formatting and support for our clients during the webinar planning process when the materials all come together. And the overwhelming trend in the science industry is so much content, too much content on one slide, right? So, um, you know, like the, the 20 bullet list slide, this is what we did. And, and then the presenter talks over the bullets. It's like, that's not presenting. Now, again, that's a whole other subject, but the point is when it comes back to complex topics, what we just talked about and webinar fatigue, I think it's really important that presenters spend more time thinking about how they should display what the important message is on the slide and then talk over that, right? Like these boring bullet points and words and just stuff on the slide is is not presenting support your message with charts graphs embedded videos keep it interesting but that help this that will help with this webinar fatigue everyone's feeling too i mean it's challenging to sit through 60 minutes of just looking at bullets yeah uh, i think that that reigns through in in all content types as well we try and you know this i've seen some great written word in terms of content that the blog but if it's not well formatted if if the paragraphs are too chunky if the text is wrong if if there's no videos if there's no images if there's no you know h1s h2s that sort of stuff so good content can be ruined by poor formatting yeah there you go (laughs) yeah well well put I'll have to coin that one. Um, So moving on towards the ultimate topic is about post-webinar. Elizabeth, uh, in terms of garnering feedback, how do you how do you get the the feedback from from the webinar attendees? Yeah, sure. So, I mean, obviously, you want to make sure that you're getting some measure of how satisfied your registrants were. Um, it'll give you good uh, good things um, and tips for how you can improve in the future. Um, but first off, I would do a short post webinar survey. So, I usually try to send that out as quickly as possible after the the event has run, um, so that you know feedback is given and everything's still fresh in everyone's minds. Um, so, you want to you know ask people about what 
you know, you, what you did well, uh, what could be improved, and then also just get that general measure of satisfaction with what you delivered. Um, and then I also really like to look at retention rates. So how many people stayed all the way through your webinar? So we just talked a lot about engagement. Um, and so I think that's a good measure of how engaged people were. If people stayed all the way to the end or if they kind of cut off right away, um, it kind of shows you how engaging your your content was throughout your webinar. Um, also, did people engage with you through your polls, like the polls we just ran or through Q&As? Did people send in comments, things like that? Um, that's all another good measure of of again, how satisfied I think and how engaged people were. And then lastly, um, I always like to ask people to engage with me or engage with the company on social media after the webinars run its course. Um, so if you have participants coming to your social media pages, leaving comments or asking more questions, and again, just continuing that engagement with you, I think that's a really great um, measure of how, how much people liked what you delivered. Um, if people are willing to take the time to continue to uh, you know have a discussion with you, I think, again, that's a great measure of how successful you are through your webinar. Yeah, excellent. Um, I know that we've had webinars where we've doubled the number of registrants or the number of viewers by the t you know by sort of six months afterwards because of the on-demand content. So, um, Andy, what, what about post-event marketing? What comes into your strategy there? Uh, it's it's uh, well, it starts with a repeat of what Danny went over, right? Make the plan, uh, and what you've just said, uh, Frankie, is that it's not over. Um, this was a big misconception years ago when people started getting into webinars more seriously. It, up here, they were like, well, the webinar is the live day. Um, I'd actually argue that the webinar is about a three to six month process, potentially longer, depending on the, the gating plan. And the what happens after is actually becoming more important than the live webinar. Because you do not, you, you never get 100% attendance. And arguably, the trends are always slightly less than 50% live attendance of your entire registrant pool as of the day of the live webinar. So the bigger chunk of opportunity to engage your audience, have them watch the content, learn from it, answer your polls, can you know participate in surveys, and everything Elizabeth just mentioned about, you know, how are we ensure people are happy? So the feedback collection, et cetera, that more of that will happen actually after. So this has to just be an event marketing and distribution plan that's no different than the leading up to uh, the live webinar. You have to have email, social maybe some paid ads in there um, and make sure that uh, the one tip I would suggest is make sure you're trimming uh, your audience down. So what we mean by that is removing registrants, uh, tracking those who have engaged the content. So you're not pinging them over and over and over again about something they've already engaged in. Um, and the correct way to do this is also consider the other assets that are leading to the content and make sure you're tracking that looking at it as a whole. So we all spoke about taking a webinar and then breaking it into video clips. Great idea. If we do that, we want to have some sort of appreciation of maybe who's watching that as well, or at least making sure we don't overmarket the small pieces uh, and the whole, the webinar whole, to the same same people as well. So, but a very important subject, and I'd say moving forward for 2021, um, post event marketing is should arguably be more important if you were to compare pre and post. All right. That just leaves us to wrap up. Thanks, Danny. Thanks, Andy. Thanks, Elizabeth. And thank you for everybody who's tuned in as well. We'll see you in January with our, our next webinar, which uh, we'll stay tuned for the subject. Take care.
huge thank you to Danny, Elizabeth and Andy for showing us how to use webinars to market science. You can view all of our webinar recordings on demand at azonetwork.com slash events. Next week, we are joined by Jeff Davison, CEO of BioNow, a specialist network for biomedical, pharma and life sciences sectors. We'll be talking about the importance of scientific collaboration over the coming months. See you then.